Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, and that we can come together and we can lift up your name in this place. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us today, that you would reveal yourself among us, Lord. We pray that you would break down any barriers or defenses we have erected against you, Lord, and we pray that you would take possession of our hearts. Lord, in ways that we have sought to exclude you from our lives or hide from you, Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself, that you would heal what is sick, Lord, bind up what is wounded, uh, repair what is broken, Lord God. And we pray that you would speak your words of life to us today. Lord, give me words to speak to your people and fill us all up with your word that we might truly uh, carry you with us into this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is great to see you all today. Well, in seminary, I, seminary, I keep saying that, in college uh, and in high school, I used to play a lot of roller hockey, right? Anyone ever played roller hockey? Oh, it's a lot of fun. It's like hockey, except for you don't play on ice, right? Instead, you use roller blades or some type of skate and hockey stick. And instead of a puck, you've got a ball, like usually a hard plastic ball. Um, and it's really fast paced. It moves like all over the court. It's really, it's a fun sport. It keeps you going and engaged all the time. Now in college, we were playing this game in a tennis court and having a lot of fun. Uh, but at one point, one of my, um, teammates wound up and just smacked the ball. I mean, so hard. He just, I mean, it was like incredible slap shot. Unfortunately, another friend of mine was in the path of that ball, right? And wasn't really able to react in time. And that ball hit him in a very unpleasant place. And the poor guy just collapsed on the ground, right? Collapsed on the ground. And, and this guy was one of the most gentle, sweet, faithful people I know. But from his mouth <laughs> came a string of words which would make a sailor blush, right? It was, and we're all like, everyone's a little shocked, right? We're all a little shocked at that point where everyone's like, not sure exactly how to react. But when he recovered, he said, and we're like, I've never heard you talk like that before. Uh, he said, well, the bucket only brings up what's in the well. Anyone ever heard that expression before? Right, so it's very, I mean, it's very practical, right? Uh, if you have a bucket and you dip it down into your well that's full of water and you bring it back up, what's going to be in the bucket? Water, right. If you have a well full of jelly bellies, you dip your bucket down in there, what's it going to be full of? <laughs> jelly bellies, right? It only brings up what's in the well. That's what the bucket does. The bucket has no kind of cognition to itself. It doesn't decide what it's going to bring up. Uh, it just brings up what's there in the well. And for my friend, he was very humbly admitting that despite the fact that he was kind and gentle and very sweet with his words, normally controlled, when pain and circumstances got in the way of that, things came out which we didn't know were in there. But the bucket, the bucket will bring it up. Has this ever happened to you? <laughs> You're going to use the expression? Yeah. That's right, yeah, because it's amazing. Sometimes we feel in our lives, we get to this point where, um, I don't know, but okay, for me, if I'm working on my car, sometimes it feels like everything is against me. 
right? Every time something falls, it falls in a place that is impossible to get it back, right? Every time you try to tighten something, it strips or it breaks or it, you know, it's one of those things. And sometimes situations in life get so intense or frustrating that things start to come up that you don't want to come up and that are a little shocking to you that they're even in there, right? But the bucket only brings up what's in the well. The bucket only brings up what's in the well. Now, we've got a bucket in a well uh, in our gospel passage for today, that very short and concise passage, which Mark read so beautifully. Uh, we pick up with Jesus at a well in a Samaritan city called Sychar. Uh, it's right next to motorcycle, because motorcycle and sidecar are always... Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. I'm glad you guys even partially got it, enough to groan. That's really great. I went out on a limb there and then cut it right off. So, uh, so this Samaritan city called Sychar. Uh, the Jews typically avoided Samaritans, as you know, like the plague, right? Unfortunately, if you wanted to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, the fastest way to get there was through a region called Samaria, which is full of Samaritans, right? Driving their RVs with their stickers on the back and everything. And uh, and there in the city of Sychar was right on your route from Jerusalem to Galilee. You went right through this town, Sychar. Now, this city was particularly um, special, too, because right next to it is this mountain called Mount Gerizim, which is where the Samaritans had built their version of the temple. And it's where they worshipped God, rather than in Jerusalem, where the Jews had the temple. So it was this point of contention. The two temples were this problem between these two nations as they looked and hated each other. Now, in Sychar, uh, Jesus stops because he's tired, right? Jesus gets tired. He gets hungry, he gets thirsty, he gets tired, uh, just like you and me. And since it was noon, he sat down by the well to get a drink because it was hot and he was thirsty. Now, Jesus' disciples had gone on into town to purchase some vittles, and Jesus meets up with, with this woman by the well. And in his conversation with her, he breaks down all kinds of cultural boundaries. First, he speaks to her. He speaks to her. That's a big one, right? Jesus uh, culturally should not have spoken to her. She was a woman and a Samaritan. And this is not what people are supposed to do. But Jesus does. He breaks this cultural convention. Then he asks her for a drink which a Jew would not do because if you drank from a Samaritan's cup, you would get contaminated, right? They had these things called cooties. That's, I think, the biblical term for them, right? And if you, if you, yeah, and if you shared a cup with a Samaritan, you could get cooties from them, and it was fatal, typically fatal, yeah. Um, so he asked her for a drink. Uh, and because the Jews considered the Samaritans to be uh, unclean, they were, in a, they were in a permanent state of uncleanness. And so if you were to drink from the cup of a Samaritan, you would be ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Now she responds with shock, like, hey, don't you know who I am? And don't you know who you are? Right? This is not the way things are supposed to go. You're not supposed to talk to me. You're not supposed to be asking me for a drink of water. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. But Jesus doesn't deal with this issue. He moves right through it. And he shows her that this conversation is going to be disorienting for her in more ways than one. 
He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I imagine she's just about as confused as you or I would have been in that circumstance, too. Right. Because he's just asked her for a drink and he's saying, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. Right. I mean, would anybody do that? I mean, it's like going in a restaurant and ordering a pastrami sandwich and then the, and then telling the server, well, you should have asked me for a pastrami sandwich if you knew who I was. Right? It just doesn't work that way. Like, this person's got all the pastrami and the bread and everything. Why would they ask me for a sandwich? Same thing in this situation. This woman has the well and the bucket and the access to it. And Jesus says, you should have asked me for water. Now, it gets even more confusing because the Greek, uh, which the New Testament is written in, uh, that word living water can also mean uh, just fresh spring water or water that's running. Uh, because the Jews made a differentiation between two types of water. There was living water and dead water, right? And we'll use two bodies of water in Israel to, um, to illustrate that. So you've got the Sea of Galilee, which the Jordan River flowed into and flowed out of. The Sea of Galilee is considered living water. Anyone know why? It flows, right? Water comes in and water goes out. Uh, you get a little further south down on that, uh, the Jordan River, and where does it end up in? The Dead Sea, right? Hence the name. Because water comes into the Dead Sea, and where does it go? Nowhere. Nowhere. It just evaporates, right? Nowhere. It's dead. The water has no outlet. It only receives and receives and receives and never sends water back out. So, living water, that's what Jesus is speaking of. I would have given you living water. She then is like, well, how are you going to do this? Right? You're bucketless. You're bucketless. How are you going to do this? It's a practical question. It's a good question, a fair question, right? But Jesus is not dealing with good or fair or practical. Right? Jesus has a, a place he is going with this conversation. He explains how much better this water is that he will give, how much better it is than that well water which she has to come back for every day. By verse 15, she's convinced, right? She's willing to go on on a limb for Jesus. She says, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. She wants what Jesus has. She wants what he's offering. But there's an impediment to her getting it. And it's the same impediment that every person has ever faced who wants this living water. That problem is sin. So Jesus tells her, go back, call your husband, and come back. Right? This presents a problem, right? And what is the problem? She has no husband, right? Uh, so Jesus tells her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Her life choices have put her in opposition to God. And yet Jesus doesn't use this sin as a battering ram to crush her. He doesn't use it as a Cuisinart to slice and dice her. Instead... He just allows that sin and his, and his knowledge of it to sit with her, sit with her, so that she's aware that he knows she has fallen short. She was always aware she had fallen short, right? That's why she's there in the middle of the day. 
That's why she's there at a time when no one else gathers water. Everyone else goes in the morning or the evening when it's cool and easy to get it. But she wanted to go at a time when no one was there. And yet Jesus is gentle with her. Now, she still attempts a few futile futile evasions, but Jesus has her. He can see her heart. He knows her shame. And to this Samaritan woman, Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah. And she goes back to her village and tells everyone what has happened. And that testimony is not only about how great a man Jesus Christ is, but it is a testimony that is centered in her own brokenness. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. Told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? She's saying, he knows my sins. He knows me. And yet he still offers me living water. He knows me. And yet he loves me. This woman, when she has encountered Jesus Christ, can't help but go and tell others. And this is proof that the living water is already inside of her. Right? Because remember what living water does? It flows in and flows out. Flows in and flows out. And this woman has had the living water of Christ flow into her heart. And the natural reaction to that is that that water flows out among her village. She doesn't just keep it to herself like the Dead Sea and allow it to just be hers. No, this message to her is for the whole village as well. And it's in her brokenness that she shares it. And the village responds. They respond. They come to Jesus. There's just not that many examples of villages responding like this. But this village of Samaritans responds to this woman and they come to Jesus and they believe as well. Some because of the woman's testimony, some believe because of her and what she has said, and some because in the two days that follow, Jesus stays with them and preaches there among them and speaks with them and shares with them and they believe because of his words too. Now this woman's testimony worked because she approached people from the place of her brokenness. She shared with her village what the bucket had brought up in her. And they observed that Jesus was changing what the bucket was bringing up before their eyes. This is not how people often encounter people in the church. Right? The world looks at us and they often think the church is full of judgment, The church is full of rules and regulations. The church is always pointing the accusing finger. But this woman shows us another way. A way in which it is through her own brokenness and Jesus' work in her life that she shares hope. So instead of the finger pointing out and saying, you better get it together, she points at herself and says, I'm a broken person who has encountered a God who knows everything I have done and yet offers me living water. How about us? 
How about our lives and our testimony? What's in our well? What is the bucket bringing up? Not in Sunday morning when we're sitting here looking our best, right? Smiling very nicely, very pleasant to everyone. What is the bucket bringing up maybe late in the, in the night when you're alone? What is the bucket bringing up when you're working on your car, which seems to be conspiring against you? What is the bucket bringing up when you're dealing with relatives or how, I don't know where your challenges are in life. What is the bucket bringing up? We might have been in the church for a while and perhaps we've forgotten the sting of sin or the healing pleasure of forgiveness. Perhaps we've become calloused to the nature of our failure. Perhaps over the years we've gotten used to our sin, used to that unpleasant feeling it brings us. Lent this season gives us the chance to step back and look through the power of the Holy Spirit at our failures, at our horrible thoughts at our actions, and at our words, and to confess them to God, and then go out into the world preaching from our failure and God's glory, allowing the living water not only to flow in, but to flow out into the world as well. Today, may the Lord reveal to us what's in our well and what the bucket is bringing up. And by the grace of God, may he transform that well into a spring of living water, which will bless and transform the world. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for this woman at the well, this unknown woman who was willing, Lord, to allow her testimony to her village be that Jesus Christ knew her sins. Lord God, help us. Help us to live in this world in humility, to preach from our brokenness, Lord and to share the hope that you've given us and the healing you've given us. We confess to you our failure, Lord God. We confess to you our weaknesses, Lord, and we pray that you would pour your redeeming love out onto us. Help us to be filled with your hope and life and joy and to share those with this world that all might drink from your spring of living water. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.